Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Nate Langson, and this text message was sent on the 5th of April 2015, Zombie Jesus Day. And uh, joining me this week to discuss the top UK technology news, of course, is Mr. Ian Morris. And later on in the show, we are going to be talking quite uh, passionately about the Tidal music service. Is lossless audio streaming all it's cracked up to be? Is it the future of music? Uh, We may say yes, we may say no. Um, You will have to wait about 10 minutes to find out. Ian, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, Nate. How are you? I'm ill still, but not quite as ill as I was last week. You do sound a little bit uh, sketchy, but I think uh, we'll recover. You'll recover. You'll be fine. Yeah, I was feeling my words were getting uh, slightly nose interrupted. <laughs> well, Thanks. colds are almost never fatal. Yes, and weirdly, I've been quite warm this week, which is uh, which is ironic, actually. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it's been extremely warm today. I don't know if you've been out. I have. I've just been for a walk in the park with my girlfriend. Oh, how we've, lovely. We've been looking at geese, ducks, and planning our holiday in Japan. Oh, lovely. Doing later this year. Um, I've been living on the edge, which is indeed a segue for our first story today, that the Galaxy S6 and 6S Edge reviews are in. Once again, we are in an era where we have the S6 on the uh, on, on the incoming and we have what will likely be the 6S later this year. We're still in an era of terrible product names. But Galaxy, Ian. Yes. Actually, Galaxy Ian would be a tremendous device. That would um, be. Just it would be me. a very angry phone. <laughs> um, and yes, but a lot of uh, interesting thoughts on other phones, perhaps. Yes, quite possibly. So we talk, I wanted to mention briefly that the, the reviews are out. Um, you have written your Galaxy 6 Edge I have. review and hailed it as a triumph. Um, yes. I wanted to get your, your thoughts on, on this is because th- we, we've gone through at least two years of fairly like fine phones from Samsung. Like they've been no problem. They've been OK, but they've not really been like groundbreaking like the, the Galaxy S3 was or when the um, iPhone 5 came out. But this one seems to be doing something a bit different. It's metal. It's got glass. I mean, it looks even more like an iPhone than it ever has in the past. <laughs> the first one. But um, but you seem to think that that's okay. Well, I, I you know I don't actually well I, I do I see the parallel between this and the iPhone. I'm, I'm holding it now. Um, I don't think it looks like the iPhone. I think that it, it, it obviously has aspects of it that are similar because of the way it's produced. I mean, it, it is a metal frame now, um, and there are only sort of so many ways you can make a metal frame look. But what I think Samsung's done rather beautifully here is think about for the edge particularly is think about what it is that they want to do with a phone that would make it sort of more aesthetically pleasing um now i have been pretty upfront in the review i've written two reviews of this phone now um i hope that i don't have to write any more not because i don't like the phone but i think two reviews are more than enough of one product um Mm. but um, and can I just jump in here? Are we talking about the six or the well, six let's, edge? Let's talk about the edge for now. We'll we'll right. do an we'll do an amendment with the the six at the end. Um, 
the what they what they've done with the edge is they've they've tapered the edges. So it, unlike the if you saw the Note Edge, that was a very different product. It had a much more pronounced screen on the edge, and it was much more functional. So um, I mean, and also there was the potential to have an API for that and to produce apps that sort of ran in that little extra bit of display that was the edge. Now with the S6 Edge, that's not really the case. There are some of the features that remain. So for example, you can give it a little rub, like a genie in a bottle kind of thing, um, mm. and, it and it will give you information when the phone is in standby, which is quite nice. So you, you get the date, the time, battery information, the weather, and then you can swipe it and get news and swipe it again um, and get status you know, um, Android notifications, which is quite nice. Um, but, um, and then the other big feature is you put it down on the desk and then when one of your favourite contacts rings you, it, it pulses colours so you should be able to see it reflected in the desk. But these are two features that are not entirely going to set the world alight. Is that fair to say? Um, um, but yes, I mean, I think missed opportunity not to call those touch apps S-Rub. <laughs> yes, um, very true. But um, I think at the same time, what Samsung's really going for with this phone is a sort of a look um, rather than a functionality. Um, and I actually think that's fine. It, you know, it would be, if Apple was to do something like this, I think we'd all, we'd all get it. Samsung's sort of taken a bit of a gamble here. I know that, I mean, from what I can gather, it is planning to produce far fewer versions of the Edge than the S6. It is a much more expensive phone. The Edge adds around £100, I believe, um, perhaps even more. Um, and that is very much an aesthetic thing. You get a very slightly bigger battery in the Edge. Um, mm. But um, what you're also getting is this fantastic glass design. It's not like the iPhone 4 when that came out, which was glass, but as a result, very heavy. This is much thinner glass now. You know, the technologies around those have moved on massively, much lighter, very, very tough, um, and generally just a very nice looking phone. It's, but, it's also... But I, I just... Now, you're absolutely right. Everything so far you said is, is, um, is, is great. I just haven't... I just can't get away from how much the design looks like an iPhone. And I don't want to risk, well, I already am running the risk of sounding like a massive Apple fanboy, but there are certain features on, you know, there's only a certain number of ways you can make a a, a, a slab of metal and glass yeah. look different from each other. And I appreciate that. But I, th there's just something about the way that it's been done. Like the, the little sort of gray bands that separate the metal parts of the casing yeah because they're used for antennas the fact that they're the same color gray the fact you know we've got spherical speaker hole speaker grills like like on the ipad mm. um and next to the next to the usb charger there's just so many things that just make me think this just looks too much like an iphone but yeah hey, I, you know I what i don't know what what, I do what get can what i say i do get what you mean um and at the same time, you know, I'm I'm not going to pretend that there hasn't been some of that, you know, looking at one thing and saying, oh yes, that's nice, we should do that. Um, but at the same time, do does anyone really care? Does this matter? You no. know, the fact is that there is going to be sort of idea borrowing around mobiles, um, and if, I don't know. I, I think that Apple does borrow as well. Um, yeah. And oh, I think, oh, you know, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. It's just I think that in this instance, Apple tends to borrow on the software side, whereas 
the yeah. Android manufacturers tend to um, borrow on the physical side, and and one hundred percent Apple is is guilty of this on that on the software side. And I would think in particular it's the notification center stuff that always to me stands out as a classic example. The swiping yeah. down from the top for bringing down um, notifications, swiping up to um, to bring up controls for things like Wi-Fi and airplane mode. Those are, you know, definitely taken, uh, inspiration taken from Android. Um, let's just, let's sum up here before we get a bit too, too yeah, much. Sure. Um, in terms of being a phone, all right, it's great. You know, anyone anyone knows it's a fine phone. It'll, it'll do what you need it to do. Is this a replacement for an S5 that you would say, yes, this is worth out going, worth going out and buying as an upgrade? And um, and regardless of whether that is or not, how would you say this compares to the other uh, big Android releases we've seen recently, like the HTC um, <laughs> M- <laughs> One M Nine? Yeah. Well, I mean, which- yeah, I, I, to, without being too uncharitable about the One M Nine, that they, they made they made the same mistake this year that Samsung made last year. The M Nine is not enough of a leap up for it to be an attractive upgrade. Now, we all know, don't we, that sometimes people buy phones, they buy phones because they want a new phone, or they buy phones because they're upgrading. Um, Mm. You wouldn't kill yourself to get the M9 um, because it's just not different enough, um, if you, especially if you're an M8 owner. Um, if you were an S5 owner and you took a look at the S6, you're going to want that device, I think. Um, for a start, the fixing of the fingerprint scanner is enough of a reason alone in my book. Wow. Strong words. Okay, well, um, Ian has a review of the S6 Edge on Forbes. If you search Google for Ian Morris S6 Edge Forbes, you'll find it. I promise you, you will, because that's what I did when I was looking for it earlier today. Um, fantastic. Okay, let's get back to news. Secondly, uh, secondly just a quick one. This on live uh, gaming service is to be switched off. Um, this comes according to the BBC that it OnLive has sold several of its patents to Sony. Now, this is the company that allowed people for, for a number of years now to play PC games on tablets. Um, well, actually, specifically, it was a little kind of virtual console you plugged into a TV, and the actual game rendering itself was being done on servers in the cloud, and you could play on a TV without any expensive hardware, pardon me, at your end. The downside is that there was a latency issue, so sometimes you pressed a button and it was just just that split second too long um, for the response to come back to be seen as a really compelling experience and it was quite expensive and some of the companies didn't really like um, uh, well you know video game manufacturers weren't necessarily as on board as as they could have been and obviously we have the competition from Steam and Nvidia with with respective um, services so it's dead and Sony's bought 140 of its patents to support the PlayStation Now streaming service which is basically doing that only it's using the PlayStations and the uh, Sony Bravia TVs as the alternative to the on live box Ian did we see this coming? Because I think we did. Well, I'm amazed that there's any reason for Sony to buy any of the patents. Their service is already basically running, right? So what would that? What what does the on live patent portfolio add to this? Um, well, it probably, yes. it's probably a legally defensive move. Probably. In, um, historically, this has happened before, where they buy them uh, when they need the cash because it's going to be easier than uh, on li- someone from OnLive coming back and saying, that thing you've just made a billion dollars off, yeah, we're going to need a quarter of that because we own this patent. <laughs> yeah, because I guess you get patent trolls come in and acquire companies cheap once they're, you know, hit the 
deck, so to speak. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think on live has been relevant for a very long time. They did that really, um, they did that really nasty thing, didn't they, a while ago, where they basically restructured in a way that shut out all the first round of investors. And um, yeah, um, yeah and I think that was, um, I think that was the beginning of the end, really. I think they think they probably lost a lot of support um, from various people there. But uh, yeah, I, I just think that it, it, that's a service that probably fits better into the console world, isn't it? Yeah, 100% it does. You don't need to have this extra box. It was one of those services where there was a demand for this sort of a um, use case scenario, which is cloud-based uh, gaming. It's just that people probably didn't want to buy yet another thing to plug into their TV. And I think we've seen a similar problem with um, uh, services that I put into this bucket, like the Ouya, the Android gaming console, mm. which again offered something that people did want it's just they didn't want it in the way in which it was being delivered to them again in that case another box to plug into the tv people are quite happy to have the on live gaming experience if you like of cloud stuff baked into their into their tv or into their uh, playstation as a way of playing really old playstation games but um they don't want to do it in a way that means they have to buy another box and another controller and i think we've got one of these sitting in a drawer under my tv somewhere um no not not compelling enough and yet some very very compelling technology behind it just couldn't work in a business sense what a shame um i will not be drowning in tears over this but um well what else can you say i'm not gonna be drowning in tears to be fair, no. I have to cry quite a lot and live in a watertight room to yes. drown in tears. I think the and trick if... to that would be to live in a very small watertight room if you were going to yes. ho- if you were going to have any hope at all of drowning in your own tears, or only get upset in the bath. Um, last news story before we get to our discussion piece is just a quick recap that the iPad is five, five years old. Now you may wonder why is this in news? Well, of course there is news that the iPad is five. The reason, though, is because Ian has an iPad now. Ian <laughs> never used to like the iPad. And um, constantly, and when I say constantly, I do mean on a daily basis would send me a text saying how much he hates the iPad and how much he hates me for using one and how much he hates everyone um, for even yeah, thinking but about that's a, well, that's a, No, but that's a general thing, right? I mean, I do pretty much despise everyone. Exactly. It wasn't limited to the iPad, but things have changed over the last year or so. And um, and, and, and Ian has gone from being uh, not exactly an Apple supporter um, to, to someone who, who is appreciating more and more the, uh, the Apple world. So I wanted to recap um, the iPad 5 a little bit and just do a little bit of a spec comparison, because I think it's it's always nice to see how far we have come. So mm. five years ago, we had the very first iPad. Uh, it was released in April 2010, and uh, it was quite large, and it was quite heavy. In fact, it weighed 680 grams. The current iPad Air 2 weighs 437. Um, do you know, was that was a- one of the things that really annoyed me, first of all, was the weight, because uh, I remember that launch, and do you remember they only ever showed people sitting down with it, because it was so yeah. heavy that to stand or hold it in any way that wasn't resting on your knees was just impossible. It was a challenging device to, to, to hold, definitely. Um, the screen size was the same, but it had a uh, that the resolution has been doubled from 1024 by 768, which is actually a crap resolution. Even at the time, it looked a bit crap. Um, now it has a, uh, a Retina display, 2048 pixels by 1536, so that's higher than HD. Um, what other specs have changed? Got a fingerprint sensor now, of course. Um, it has up to 128 gig of storage, whereas the previous model eventually maxed out at 64 gig. 
Um, what else do we have? The first one was one gigahertz, one gigahertz single core. Current one is three core, one point five gigahertz, sixty eight bit, sixty-four uh, bit. Sorry, has two gig of RAM. Um, the original model had only 256. That's, to me, one of the biggest differences is how much more RAM this thing has got. You know, it has eight times the RAM. Um, and, of course, we have things like 30-pin um, connector. Um, one of the things that this, uh, the new model, the iPad Air 2, has lost, though, of course, is the uh, the sliding switch on the right. It doesn't have that anymore. That's now a software-based switch. Um, and the first iPad did not have uh, 4G, which is a bit of a shame. So a little round roundup of, of some of the spec changes. Um, and I saw an interesting article on Gizmodo when I was just looking for these specs early. And I thought, actually, let's let's go through a few of these um, original criticisms that were the iPad uh, that now, to me, when I looked back at these, I thought, wow, these are not problems anymore. How bizarre. The first one, there's no flash. That's flashes in Adobe Flash. So... This was a really weird thing. Do you remember when the first iPad came out? Still no, no flash support. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like a bigger problem at the time than it does now. Apple had, Apple had already declared war on flash by then, hadn't they? And, and, and rightly so, because actually it doesn't, it doesn't add a lot. I mean, no. I'm not one of these people that can't see the fact that flash changed the world. And to, to, you know, people do, you know, do it down, don't they now? But actually that, that was an enormously important, important tech. But the iPads just don't need it. No, and I think that the move to things like H.264 video, um, HTML5, like those are things that Apple, in its reluctance to adopt Flash, um, despite the fact that its customers definitely want it. And I was one of those people when the iPhone first came out that really felt that Flash was uh, was causing a problem in, in how much I was enjoying using the iPhone compared to... Um, <laughs> do, you, do you remember that Steve Jobs quote, though? It, said if a, it, well, he's, I think he said something like, if a Mac crashes, it's because of flash or or an adobe product or something like that and it was quite it was quite a real sort of slap but it was quite, funny quite possibly yeah i don't remember that but yeah but but not a problem now you know flash is is going by the wayside um yeah you know it's done its, it's time done. it did a good job and now we've moved on haven't we the next in this list on gizmodo ipad is a bad name um <laughs> well, I, I never it still thought it is was, a pretty bad name i never thought it was as bad as the wii no. Um, but on the other hand, I don't think it's it's also not as bad as what Apple has been using to talk about on the uh, the new MacBook. It's Force Touch, which to me just sounds like a little bit too sort of indecent, indecent. You know, Force Touch. It's I don't know. I don't like that that term at all. It but sounds I don't very think... Star Wars, though. But that's the other thing, isn't it? Which is obviously Force quite deliberate. Touch. It just sounds like someone who's who's groping you. Yeah, in a, in I a think bar that was, after too many beers. That was pretty much the reaction online afterwards, wasn't it? Yeah. The other criticism, I can't type on this thing. I never had that problem, actually. I found I could always type on it um, pretty easily. But um, the autocorrect improvements on the software side have actually made that easier. Oh, very and I think much our, so. Our hands have just needed to retrain a little bit. Um, I don't need a giant phone. Well, I think well, Samsung's never... proved that to be wrong that people do in fact want giant phones well and also it would it that, that's the one thing apple's never done that android has always done it's not it's never been a giant phone it doesn't do text messaging it does iMessage, obviously um, it does it text message now though if you oh, pair it, it to an iphone yeah if you uh, i see yes, if you've continuity to it or whatever yeah. it's called and yes you can send texts and answer calls and in fact i answered a call to my mother just today through my ipad because my phone oh, was well, on the other side of the good. room but that that yeah. was always the thing, wasn't it? It was the iPad was even though it was perfectly capable. If you got the you know the cellular one, it, mm. it they ne it was never sold in that way. So yeah, that, that's kind of a point, silly point, isn't it? And the last one in this Gizmodo article was uh, 
but I already have a laptop. And yeah, that was a fair one. If you have a phone and you have a laptop, it did feel a bit unnecessary to have an iPhone at times. But the the quote that I liked in this article was that uh, it meant the introduction of iPads where MacBooks wouldn't go, um, which I find to be very true. And and the most pressing point, case in point, I have these days is in meetings. I go to a lot of meetings, and if I pick up a phone, I feel like I need to make it very clear that I'm doing something work-based um, as opposed to texting somebody. You know, if I'm listening, I'll make a point of... Usually what I, what I do is I repeat the thing that the person just said that I want to write down and then sort of raise my eyebrows and pick up my phone and very obviously start typing so they know that when I'm picking my phone up it's clear that I'm not just getting bored of what they're saying and I'm actually writing it down and humans are very very silly aren't they I mean really human beings yes absolutely well human beings are extremely smart people are stupid (laughs) yes there's a big difference between those two things true um and similarly with a laptop holding up a screen it just feel like you're separating yourself from your person however the iPad, very different. You can type on that quite easily. People know that you're doing work. And you and can I get think, a little case, can't you, with a keyboard and stuff like that? Yeah, if you want to be one of those guys, I suppose. But you can type on it quite easily. I think I think the iPad is, 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 the, is the meeting's best friend. Plus, if you are actually bored in a meeting, you can get away with playing games on it without anybody knowing. Now, I never do that now because I'm actually too busy in my meetings um, but I will be I will be guilty of, of um, having read the news in, in meetings in previous roles, just on occasion when I've kind of checked out of uh, what I need to be listening to. Um, never with my team, but with external people. It's probably as far as I'm going to go with this, because they might be listening. I they don't might think they be, are, yes. I don't think I, they're going to care, Nate, to be honest. No, no, I know. You know did, did the work get done? Yes, the work got done. So it doesn't really matter, does it? So happy birthday, iPad Funf. Um, yeah. Where will we be in five years? Who knows? And congratulations we'll... on your acceptance into the Ian Morris clan. Yes, it's a difficult. It's difficult to break into. <laughs> Ian is the Fort Knox of of product acceptance. I am true. Or like um, EE sent me this one with um to test out 4G and stuff. So I'm going to give that a go and see how I get on. I suspect I'm probably going to spend a lot of money on EE 4G. <laughs> I have to say I do. I bought uh, an EE sim for mine as well, and uh, do like that. And incidentally, for those listening, hoping just pleading for a test of the BT 4G, don't worry, that is coming soon. Well, that's going to do it for the news this week. Before we jump into the feature, just a quick reminder to A, review us on iTunes. 42 reviews, Ian. That's how many we have now. Wow, that's double what it was last time, isn't it? It's crazy. 42 reviews. We've got five stars out of five. It's fantastic. So thank you to everyone who's left us a review on the old tunes of I. Um, Also, podcast at natelangson.com is where you can send us email and obviously you can uh, subscribe to us from the rss link or in itunes or anything else you might want to do that it's a brilliant idea i have heard quite literally no person has come back to me having subscribed to say that it was a a bad thing for their life i can only assume therefore that it's improved everyone's existence as a result so please subscribe tell a friend tell a colleague tell a spouse tell an ex-lover help Tell an animal. You never know what's going on inside those furry quadrupedic minds. Um, Ian, let's talk about Tidal, shall we? Yes. Um, I wanted to mention this because two things happened over the last week or so. Um, one, you wrote about Tidal, which is quite a, a good way for me to decide to talk about something. Uh, and secondly, um, Tidal got bought 
by Jay-Z. Now, uh, just a quick recap of this according to Rich Trenholm on CNET. Jay-Z has acquired a company, a Swedish company, for $56 million called Aspiro, which owns Tidal and another streaming service called Wimp. And Tidal is interesting because if you, and I mean this in a very simple way, take Spotify and replace its music with um, lossless uh, sort of high, more CD quality music as opposed to compressed lossy music, that's what Tidal is. Um, aside from all the other things Spotify offers that Tidal doesn't, it is a streaming music service that instead of offering um, compressed or lossy compressed audio, it gives you um, very good CD quality lossless audio streams. Would you say that's fair, mate? What I, I just would said? say that's fair. I would say that's beyond fair. I would say it's accurate. Ah, this is good. I do love accuracy. Um, now, the reason we're talking about it is um, it is because Jay-Z acquired it, and it is uh, he and I think 16 other signatories have um, sort of pledged to sort of co-own and operate this service, which I think is very interesting because I've wanted lossless audio for a while. It's, just, it's the reason I primarily still buy CDs for the um, for the audio quality. And it is also the reason that I tend to only use Spotify for music discovery, which is fine. And it makes me an interesting in, uh, customer for the music industry because it means that I use Spotify for discovering, but still go and go out and buy the premium product so that's quite interesting but i know that i'm an edge case and not typical of a of an average user um ian what's your view on tyler why don't you give us a bit of a recap what you what you mentioned on your on your forbes uh article the other day yeah i mean i i my opinions on it have changed a little bit since the since the buyout but i will come to that later um fundamentally i i actually was quite impressed by it um i it, it does sound good i've got a quite nice sound system here at the moment so i, I i'm lucky enough that i can take advantage to, of it so i i have a digital output from my computer to a, a very nice name um amplifier uh, and some nice dali speakers so for me uh it, it sounds good and um not that i think the mp3s particularly sound bad um but there is there was for me at least i could i felt like i could tell there was a difference um that aside obviously um it's a premium service and it's a premium price and that does come to the point where i was sort of wondering whether or not i would personally be prepared to pay extra for it um and the conclusion was sort of no um, because I didn't, um, if you see what I mean. So I had a free trial mm. of it. Um, and then when that elapsed, I was like, mm, so I have Google Music, which I do pay for. Would I, ca- would I, would I like to switch to Tidal? Um, and a lot of the problems I had with Tidal, I mean, I, I don't think they were huge problems at all because I used it like a, a service where I was finding music that I knew I wanted to listen to. I didn't really use a lot of the radio services or the pre-built playlists. Now, obviously, that's something they sell the service on. So pre-built playlists are music specialists, music journalists, um, sometimes artists who pick out music that they think you'd like to listen to. I did give it a go, but I wasn't that impressed. What I like about Google Music is that the um, it, it, it had then and has improved even more now radio services which allow... Um, so there's I Feel Lucky Radio... Uh, which is quite good. It, it listens, obviously, it knows what you've listened to, and it tries to build up a plat- track list based on that of stuff you probably haven't heard and stuff you it knows you like. On Tidal, that's not quite the same. 
Um, so you've got that issue. Now, obviously, Google's added in a whole load of new radio stations that are tailored to specific activities. So you might have one for uh, working out and stuff like that. So you can usually find something. That's the distinction for me. And that's the reason I stayed with Google. Um, interesting. Very I, I, interesting. You know, and, that, and again, that's what I found. In, what's one of the things I found interesting about you saying you use Spotify for music discovery? Because when I was using Spotify, I never really loved it for music discovery. Ah, but um, think about this. Think about this. When yeah. I say music discovery, I do not go to Spotify thinking I don't know what to listen to. I go to Spotify to listen to something I know already I exists to see if I want to buy it, to see if there are enough tracks on an album for me to warrant spending the money on it. I want to sample the recording quality because I'm very precious about it. I can tell through the through the compression. And, and to be fair, Spotify's um, top sound quality is very good. Yeah, I can I can tell whether it's been mastered well enough for me to want to spend the money to get the um, the CD version of it. And I then make the decision, do I want to either buy those individual tracks if there's only one or two that I actually like? Um, do I enjoy the production of the album enough to want to have the whole CD because I like listening to it um, as a fan of music recording? Or, or something else, or have I just listened to it and there was no standout track, in which case it stays in my Spotify and every now and again I go into there and peruse what I've listened to in the past. Does that make sense? That does make sense. That makes a great deal of sense. Um, and indeed, I'm, I'm much the same with uh, Google Music, obviously. I mean, I, I, I don't um, usually buy CDs these days because, fr quite frankly, that's a massive hassle for me. Um, I disconnected my computer CD drive recently so I could install a second hard or another hard drive for Windows 10. Um, but um, so really, CDs are not an option. But I do do what you do. I, I, I maybe think about artists I like or people who I know are similar and then maybe have a listen um, and then we'll add it. Sometimes I'll buy um, music on Google Play as well because I don't know mm. why. I have actually no idea why I do that. because I do. I do. I know why. I Because I, I do the same on iTunes. I do buy individual tracks sometimes from iTunes. And it's usually for, for it when in the Venn diagram of music um, perusal, it's usually a, two specific circles that force me to buy something on iTunes. It's when I'm not... I don't care about the production quality, which usually means it's something like a pop song. And secondly, <laughs> there is only one track from that album or artist or session or whatever that I want. Then I will yeah. buy it from iTunes because, um, you know, pop music is mastered awfully. It's terrible. It's loud. There's very little dynamic range. Um, I think it's atrocious for the most part. Not exclusively, but in the ones that I tend to find myself buying, um, it usually, they're usually pretty piss poor and you can get away with the compressed version because it does make no difference but for some of the bands and, and artists that i listen to the cd does give um a real leg up with with some of the the quality uh, a good because band is something to, well you listen to some amazingly complex music don't you music where there's so much going on that yeah. you really need the extra quality to really get the detail out of it yeah now an example for this would be a band called flesh god apocalypse of course uh, which I have to mention because they are an extreme uh, Italian symphonic death metal band. Um, their album has a full orchestra. It has about at least two guitarists, probably three, certainly more, multiple guitar tracks. Bass, it has operatic vocalist. It has a male vocalist. It has some of the fastest death metal drumming you'll ever hear on the widest variety of cymbals. You must have two dozen different types of cymbal. Um, it has a concert pianist. It has all sorts going on in there. 
And if you listen to those on big speakers, um, th- it's quite obvious which is the CD and which is the compressed version, simply because there's not enough um, excess sound to chuck away to to get a good compressed version. You know, that's not the same with a lot of pop and R&B. You can get rid of um, a lot and still have a very good sound. Plus, a lot of people who listen to that sort of music do, and I don't mean on, on purpose, but just the way the music is created, bass and that sort of high bass, high treble sort of sound is sort of... Um, uh what's the uh, analogous to good quality if you like it's one of the reasons incidentally why back in the ipod era and you and i had many conversations about this years ago when we were reviewing mp3 players and phones and tvs and things and for cnet and everyone knew sony's mp3 players sounded better than ipods but the reason people had that assumption is because sony shipped a pair of sound isolating earphones in the box which had the little rubber tips which conduced bass Mm. much better whereas apple had the little crappy earbuds which didn't and even though actually when you plug them both in side by side they sound exactly the same if you use one set of headphones versus another one sounds 10 times better than the other and that was the sony that sounded better because people really do interpret bass and that real resonance in your head as good quality and that's something that um that a lot of pop and r&b does really well um it's also the reason beats sound quote unquote so good because they prioritize those sorts of frequencies as well so that's why that exists for me when it comes to compression it's a lot more about dynamic range it's being able to tell different symbols apart and the way that um sound compression works and i thought we could have a little bit of a recap here about how compression works as to why this makes a difference to some people um the way lossy compression works, so this is uh, AAC, like iTunes, MP3, like Amazon Music, or um, AAC, uh, MP3 actually as well for Google Play and OGG, um, Ogvorbis for Spotify. Um, the way it works is that you have your CD quality source. Um, that's 1,411 kilobits per second. It doesn't matter what that means for the time being. It's 1,400. Let's call it that. The standard rate on Amazon and Google is 256. Okay, so that is a lot smaller than 1,400. So the number between the 256 and the 1,400 is sort of data that's been chucked away. The reason why it can do that and still sound good is because the calculation made when compressing music is think is trying to discover the actual frequencies the sounds that the ear or the brain rather can't distinguish the difference between so for example if you have um you know a a, a symbol a sort of 10 symbols all going off at the same time and they all sort of shimmer around the same note it might only keep certain ones of those those notes or those frequencies because it needs to chuck some of them away and they all basically sound the same anyway but obviously on a very big uh, a really good amplifier and through large speakers and from a good source and a good recording crucially you can pick out those symbols and and where they're positioned so that's that's difficult the way lossless works still compresses music down Um, to smaller file sizes but it does so in a way that doesn't get rid of any of that sound quality doesn't chuck anything away and the way that works i've explained in the past being uh, a little bit like uh well i'm just going to make up this following weird sentence but bear with me here Uh, let's just say you're walking down a street and you see a load of animals uh lined up all down your pavement admittedly that would be a very weird day but let's just say this was the sequence um dog Dog, 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 cat, 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 snail, snail, uh, 
chimp, uh, elephant, 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 elephant. Now, I don't know what that is, but that's like 20-odd animals, something like that. Um, if that was being stored on CD, the way I just read it would be the way that it was it was written out. It was all in, all in sequence like that. So it would take you quite a few bits to store all of those individual animals. The way Lossless would do it is look at that algorithmically, and it would say, okay, there's five cats, ten dogs, two snails, a chimp, twelve elephants, whatever that was. They might not be the exact numbers I said, I can't remember, but you get the get the drift. That that way of expressing what animals and how many there are um, there, one of those ways, as in one cat instead of oh, five cats, instead of saying cat, 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 it's cutting down the number of words, if you like, required to convey the meaning. And that's what uh, lossless compression does, is um, it, it, it translates the music down to those sorts of algorithms. So this is a long way around of getting to this point. When it comes to streaming services, I prefer the ones that don't chuck away data that's quite vital to my um, uh, my listening experience, if you like, for really complicated recordings. And I've never wanted to stream music before because none of them have ever been lossless. Tidal is one of the first and is really the first in streaming terms that is lossless and therefore is the first one that's appealed to me for this reason. I've just talked for about three minutes straight. <laughs> did all that make sense? It did. It did. It made perfect sense. It was very good. Um, have you used Tidal yet? I have, yes. And, 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 and did you like it? I did like it, but ask me the yeah. next question. Uh, did you pay for it? No. And that's the big difference, because this is kind of what I wanted to get to, and it's it would sound like we've scripted this conversation. We actually haven't. But this is what I wanted to conclude with, is why have you tried Tidal, like it, and yet not used it and gone back to use Google Play? Why have I used it, liked it, and liked the lossless side of it, and also decided not to pay? And I've, I've realized during our discussion, it's for two reasons. One, you prefer the curation and automatic um, recommended listening and playlists that Google Play offers you, mm. whereas I prefer the sound quality, but Tidal doesn't have the library, the extent of the library that I would I would want combined with the trust from me to it that it will always remain there because at 20 pounds a month it's quite an expensive rental service and i still know that all the cds that i've bought are always going to be there whereas streaming music services are very fickle and i don't want to spend necessarily 250 pounds a year if i'm paying 20 quid a month for titles top quality tier um for that music to then disappear in 18 months two years time or have taylor swift's music pulled off it for example um and then be left with with nothing to show for it. I would still rather have the best of both worlds, which is using something like Spotify for um, sampling, and then still buy the CD where appropriate. And I think and that you're it's... talking about buying, you know, a hundred quid's worth of CDs there or more, aren't you? In the difference in price. Yeah, and I mean, I probably buy about fifty or sixty CDs a year, you know, quite easily. I, I really do. And not always brand new ones, not always full price. You know, a lot of those are pre-owned if they're quite old. Sometimes um, I, I'm buying uh, new releases, but they're you know five or six quid. Like I, I'm not necessarily talking the typical ten pound per CD purchase, but I do buy a hell of a lot of them and and uh, and continue to do so. And I like that. 
that ownership and that feeling that until I trust streaming services or one streaming service or something, I still don't want to give them money instead of investing it in um, in the physical copies, even if the music doesn't go really to the artist, um, which is the other argument. Um, but just before I let you get a word in uh, edgeways, Ian, I just wanted to point something out that um, when I was doing a little bit of background research just to find some other people's opinions on Tidal and Lossless, um, I did stumble upon an article by a chap called Ed Rex um, on the, the website Tech City News, which I do refer to quite a lot. I like the website. But I have to say, you know, with no disrespect to, um, to Ed, he did write a very stupid paragraph, which is the following. <laughs> this is Ed's paragraph. First off, let's be clear. High-res audio is a waste of everyone's time. How many times have you been listening to Spotify and thought, this is great, I just wish the sound quality was better? It doesn't happen, says Ed. He continues, it's basically been proven that we can't hear the difference. Rarely has there been a better example of a solution in search of a problem. Now, you can probably imagine my feeling reading that article is just, uh, although I get his point, and yes, to a huge degree, there are many people out there who can't tell the difference between um, recordings there is a there is a type of person, a type of recording, and crucially, some types of equipment where you can, and that is where you have to at least have an understanding of what the the benefit is to make a sweeping generalization. Because there are some types of music where no, you don't need to spend three hundred pounds on you know speaker cables. Uh, you don't need to buy anything from Monster. Um, if you read <laughs> reviews of power cables, you're an idiot. And um, and yes, you know. Uh, streaming audio quality can be absolutely fine. The difference is there are exceptions, and for and for some people, there are, they have a lot of exceptions in their music listening habits. And I am one of those people. I'm not a snob about it, um, and I, I quite happily admit to buying stuff off iTunes um, when required, and I use um, Spotify. Um, but there is a difference. And it can matter for some people. So I think it's important that this benefit of, of something like lossless audio is being conveyed when, in, with the right context, which is that it really does make a difference if you have a decent pair of headphones. And I don't mean Beats, because I'm sorry to tell you people, but they cost a, like a couple, two or three dollars um, on average, probably, um, in my view, um, to make. I don't think it's very much. I think it's probably about 10 or 12 bucks for each pair um in terms of the actual manufacturing cost um good headphones make bad music sound awful because you can hear how bad they are bad headphones disguise bad music because they can't convey all the nuances that are the signatures of terrible audio recording so um i i appreciate it. here i'm just ran rambling mate you can jump no, in at any point no, no, and no. just I mean, I, I, always uh, always very pleased to hear your thoughts on audio you're far more of a an audio expert than I am, and I um, I don't consider my hearing to be quite up to scratch when it comes to you know the nuances you're talking about. But also, I don't listen to the kind of music that you listen to. I I am guilty of uh, liking pop um, and electronic music, which really just doesn't necessarily require that it's lossless. Um, the only thing I was going to say um, to finish it off really was that my opinion of Tidal has now somewhat changed because it does appear to be a vehicle for certain artists to um make more money and whereas you know when it was when it was set up as a sort of a, a loss of streaming company i kind of felt like 
that would have been a good investment for me, you know, to put my money into that, to have good quality streaming. Now it feels like very little extra effort's going to go into building up that side of the business. And instead it's about, you know, you know, as Jay-Z described it as, you know, putting the artists back in front and, you know, making it about them and getting them paid properly. And that frustrates me immensely because, um, Spotify gets a lot of criticism for this and it, it's in many ways it's unjustified uh, because in fact Spotify pays out a pretty decent amount of money to artists. The, the problem is labels which consume much of that revenue. Yeah you um, have to point out probably there is that Spotify pays out quite a lot of money but it goes largely to the labels not to the exactly. artists. Ex exactly yeah. and, that, and that's a huge problem because um, because let's be honest we, we don't really need labels and to be honest that's also what title is now about i suspect is a, is about the fact that jay-z's saying well i tell you what you know this this will be the label from now on for certain artists and they will obviously pick the artists that they want on their label title and the ones they think they'll be, will be who will be profitable and they will offer them an incentive to come to the you know the platform and they will give them more money and maybe there will be a certain title exclusivity window yeah. um, and that's frustrating i don't want exclusivity windows on things it, it is bad enough in all the other media where that happens um it's annoying to me when i can't get something on a on a thing that i've chosen it, it, it's it, it's the most frustrating thing that could happen you know you opt into one platform you spend a certain amount of money there and all of a sudden taylor swift isn't on it anymore and you think mm. well you know why is taylor swift not on it um and ultimately what what will happen is it will you know we'll we'll end up going with people going back to piracy streaming music is a really nice way of getting some money out of people who perhaps previously just downloaded everything um yeah. people like you for example who who aren't necessarily sure about an album or who like one track on an album and it would be easier to go on a torrent site and click a link and get the album and listen to and enjoy the one song and then discard the rest um streaming gives people a way of paying a little bit of money into the system and you know, and and rewarding in a m much more focused way the music they actually listen to, rather yeah, than and paying I think... for rubbish that they don't want. I mean, you know, you, there's lots of artists out there whose whose music I've enjoyed examples of, um, but whose albums don't stand up to it. No, and I think you're right. With on the torrent side, the the knock-on effect possibly is that if more people are tempted into sticking to free streaming instead of piracy, there's less of an incentive for the sites to continue operating anyway. You know, if they're not getting the users to to see those awful, you know, data grandma type um, banner ads that you see on on, on all of those sites um, when you go looking for Linux ISOs, you. Um, <laughs> You know, then then why would you operate them? There's no need. The the risk, the other risk possibly that I'm wary of at this point is that if we end up with sites like Spotify and like Tidal and and all the competition all having exclusivity over certain artists or certain labels or or rosters or what have you, there's going to come a point where you almost you need a meta service to basically allow you to subscribe to it so that if a song exists on one of those platforms you can stream it through the the conduit that you're paying for and that conduit pays the um the, the you know a, a, a portion of its money to that service for the fact that you've streamed one of their tracks because these that's services so complicated and it why is do complicated have to have this why why but we don't I mean, but... I know... 
but this is the thing we, we don't we don't at the moment but we've seen this we've seen this already happen in the in the past with things like um you know is it can i stream it.tv or something like that yeah. and it's a site because so many and this is particularly true i think in the us less less so in the uk um but it could it, it could likely come to be a problem here is that they have so many different broadcasters and networks who all have rights to certain shows and crucially back catalogs that you you can't just go to a you know a, a single place to get it you need a conduit you need something that allows you to put in a search term and it'll say well that episode of that program from that year is available on these two services and then you can either i think you might be able to stream through that site but certainly you can at the very least go to the website that is hosting it but i can just see a conduit over the next three years being well you've got spotify and google and itunes and tidal and all these things all that have certain amounts of exclusivity let's just for the sake of argument say they've each got five percent of the total market exclusively and the other 75 is is everybody has there's going to be a market for a site that says well pay us 10 pounds a month and we'll let you stream from the APIs of those services, and that becomes another way for them to make money. This is very complicated, and it doesn't need to exist today, but it is pointing in the direction of that scenario, and well, we I have mean, seen that exact scenario exist for um, for TV and movies already. Well, yeah, Netflix and Amazon and um, possibly other services, but it, uh, but that really, I mean, I it's almost sort of more understandable with TV because, to some extent, it's, I, I think that Netflix... Uh, can justify it with its original programming because obviously what it's doing there is it's paying a lot of money up front to make something. Um, I think it's less justifiable when labels and you know or uh, Hollywood studios go to what one or the other and do a deal. Um, and uh, you know I I honestly understand there's a business model here, but at the same time I, it's just like well if I can't see it I've got Amazon and Netflix if I can't see it on one of those two then what am I going to do? Probably, I, I, I might download it. Maybe yeah. if I was a lawbreaker. Obviously, I'm not. Listen to text message if in doubt. It's as simple as <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. Simple as that. Well, we have been talking now for the best part of fifty minutes, so in total. So we should call this a day. Obviously, let us know your views, uh, dearest listeners, of which there are a staggering number of you um, already. Particularly those of you re- uh, leaving reviews. There are huge numbers of you. Thank you. Um, podcast at natelangson.com or tweet Ian or I on at Ian Morris or at Nate Langson on Twitter, uh, respectively. And respectfully, please. Um, you need to if put you a have... 78 after mine. Oh, Ian, uh, Ian Morris 78, of course. Yeah, otherwise, I, otherwise I, I'll get some other guy. There's loads of really clever Ian Morrises and you don't want to be bothering them with the trivialities of Tidal. I apologise. Ian Morris 78 and Nate Langson on Twitter. Let us know... Um, and uh, we'll read your comments out next week. There's never been a better time than to email. Um, that'll do for this week. We'll be back in another week for a text message. Sorry for the late publishing on this show today, but um, it's been Zombie Jesus weekend, and I've had sleep to do and pancakes to eat and videos to edit and widescreen monitors to buy, but more about that next week. See you later.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.